The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star at its rising, and have come to do him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was greatly troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it has been written through the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, since from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and ascertained from them the time of the star's appearance. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the child. When you have found him, bring me word, that I too may go and do him homage. After their audience with the king, they sent out, and behold, the star that they had seen at its rising preceded them until it came and stopped over the place where the child was. They were overjoyed at seeing the star, and on entering the house they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They prostrated themselves and did him homage. And then they opened their treasures and offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their country by another way. The Gospel of the Lord. Know, dear brethren, that as we have rejoiced at the nativity of our Lord Jesus Christ, so by leave of God's mercy, we announce to you who also the joy of his resurrection, who is our Savior. On the 14th day of February, will fall Ash Wednesday and the beginning of the fast of the most sacred Lenten season. On the 31st day of March, you will celebrate with joy Easter Day, the Paschal Feast of our Lord Jesus Christ. On the ninth day of May will be the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
On the nineteenth day of May, the Feast of Pentecost. On the second day of June, the Feast of the Most Holy Body and Blood of Christ. On the first day of December, the first Sunday of Advent of our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom is honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. For centuries, quite literally, the custom in the church has been on the Feast of the Epiphany to solemnly announce the date of Easter and the attendant celebrations in the coming year, usually with people with much better singing voices than mine. <laughs> um, but it is remarkable that as we gather to celebrate the Lord manifesting his goodness and his glory to the nations, we pause directly after the proclamation of the gospel to announce the effect of that manifestation, the great victory that he wins in Easter, and the fact that across the year the Lord continues to manifest and reveal his glory. One of the other long-standing customs on the Feast of the Epiphany of our Lord is the blessing of chalk, which we will do later during our liturgy. And we bless chalk because the blessing of homes on the Feast of the Epiphany is a long-standing, in fact, very ancient custom in the church. And one would say, why on the Feast of the Epiphany would there be an attention to the blessing of homes? And it's because of what we hear in our Gospel reading. Because the Magi, despite what our nativity sets show, typically, did not arrive at a stable. They arrived sometime after the Lord has been born, and Mary and Joseph are now stably settled in a house. And so the Lord, in a house, receives the visit of the Magi. And so the long-standing custom then became recognizing the Lord settled in a family dwelling now for the first time, is the one whose blessing we desire to ask for our own dwellings. The chalk is used for marking over our front entrances the symbols associated with the blessing, and we will do that live to, so that everyone sees how to do it immediately following Mass, whether it continues snowing or not. All of that having been said, the details of the visit of the three kings, the three wise men, the three magi, are well known. Deceptively so. Because the simple fact of the matter is, one, we honestly don't know how many kings there were. We get the number three because three gifts are named. But St. Matthew in his gospel never tells us how many actually showed up. We know it's more than one because he uses a plural they, but we don't know how many. And that's a marvelous 
point to begin with. Because what, the very essence of what we see here is the nations are being called by the Lord and are on the move. And on this day, we celebrate the Lord, named by the Magi as the newborn king of the Jews, who is not simply a king for the Jews. Rather, a king whose rule reaches out to all of the nations of the world. And note the expansiveness here. The people of God now is no longer neatly reducible to a single people. Rather, it is a people that involves the far-flung corners of the world. No single culture, no single language, no single way of life has a unique claim on the presence and the power of God who comes to gather all people and all nations to himself. What a remarkable gift that is, because in a very real way, we celebrate on this day the fact that we, from our diverse cultures and nations, have been called into the kingdom of God, and that is why we are here. We do not follow a star directly like the Magi did, but what we do follow as the Magi did is the initiative of the Lord who calls us. It can be a little too easy to reduce what we see in this event to the seeking, the effort, the journeying of the Magi. And that's all real, but it's a seeking, a journeying, an effort that is initiated by the Lord. It doesn't begin with them. It begins with the action of God, as all real spiritual movement does. It's the other wondrous thing that we see here. The Lord, newly born in Bethlehem, is no sooner showing his face to us than heaven begins to move, and heaven begins to call and invite the world. First, it calls Israel in the form of the shepherds. It calls them from their flocks and from their work in the darkness of night to come and look upon the light of the world in the manger. But note that the shepherds don't find their way there neatly on their own. They're told where to go. They are invited. The Lord calls, strikes the heart, and then says, move. Likewise, no sooner does the Lord show the light of his face to the world for the very first time than heaven lights up with a star. Note how wondrous that is. The light of the face of Christ shines forth in Bethlehem and heaven lights up. And it is that light at the moment of his birth that calls to the Magi who had spent their lives studying and looking to the heavens. And note how wonderful that is. Because to see a star, one has to do two things. One has to step outside. You don't see the star from your bedroom. You don't see the star from inside the house or the palace. One has to be willing to step outside. But stepping outside, one has to do something else, which is look up. And the Magi are great for these two reasons. 
they were willing not to enclose themselves, to lock themselves in only to what they knew and what seemed to be familiar. They were willing to step outside of that space, which was so comfortable. But in doing so, they have also did what all too many human hearts fail to do, which is look up. The simple fact of the matter is we spend most of our lives looking down. We spend most of our lives looking and resting our eyes only on things that are closest to hand. We spend most of our lives looking at our frustrations and our worries. We spend most of our lives looking at the dozens of things we need to get done every single day. And those things aren't bad. But if we're not careful, they simply take over our living. They become what we think our life is. More of the same every single day. And it's not that it's bad, it's that it is so very limiting. And the heart that cannot look up above the world, the heart that cannot look up toward heaven, is the heart that's not going to see the star even when the star is blazing, beautiful, and bright. That's the remarkable thing as well. They saw the star. Anybody could have seen the star. You know, a star in the heaven is a pretty dramatic sign. And note what it says. Much of the world doesn't know how to look up. The star shines in the heavens right over Bethlehem, right near where King Herod was living, and he didn't see it. And the priests and the scribes and the Pharisees didn't see it. They thought they knew, but they never stepped outside and never looked up. Note how similar that is to what happened with the shepherds who were outside at night. And outside at night, they were able to receive the vision of the angel. The Lord sends his signs into the world. The Lord extends his invitation to the world. And the Lord does it in a way that any heart on any given day can see it or hear it and receive it if that heart is willing to look up. If that heart is willing to risk taking a step outside. Note how wonderful that is. Note how wonderful that is. The journey of the Magi begins in such a simple way. They looked up into the heavens they thought they knew, and they saw something wondrous a newly arrived star blazing, brilliant, and inviting, announcing that a king has been born. And understanding the meaning of the star, they did the next necessary thing, which is it's not good enough for me to shrug my shoulders and say the promised king has been born if I just go back into my house, close the door, and go back to bed. They moved. And again, note how wonderful that is. Just like the shepherds on hearing the angel weren't content to simply know that the Christ has been born, they moved. 
The knowledge that the Lord has been born is not simply to satisfy our curiosity. Heaven is not interested in simply giving us factual information. Rather, when heaven speaks and heaven calls, it is at the service of provoking a movement within us. And so it is, the king has been born, we must go and meet him. In fact, note their desire, we will go and do him homage. We will honor him. They know that the one who has been born has been born for them. And because he has been born for them, they must go. Note how beautifully that sums up the mystery of this holy season of Christmas. It is not simply that Christ has been born, it's that he has been born for us. Not for somebody else, not for some other part of the world. He has been born for us, for you and for me. And when we recognize that he has come, for us, note the implication, then I should go to him. He has arrived. I know where he is. I must move. And that is the greatness of the Magi. He has been born for us. Then let us go and see him. And in going to see him, they are very careful not to arrive empty-handed. We want to honor him. We Christians often take God a little too lightly sometimes. We take the Lord and his goodness for granted. And it's not that the Lord expects us to enrich him or to bring him wealth, but we often arrive to the Lord merely empty-handed. And there are times when that is a wonderful thing to do because we are needy. We are, in fact, poor, physically and spiritually. And we do need to come to the Lord from time to time with hands that are empty so that we can receive the mercy and the goodness that he has for us. But to truly honor the Lord is not merely to seek things from him. It is to respond to him and to seek to give him honor. This is why during the season of Advent, we prayed that we would rush forward to meet the Lord when he comes with the fruits of righteous deeds in our hands. To come to the Lord with the goodness that we try to do in our lives and to present that to him in his honor, that he might receive it and that he might bless it. This is what the Magi do with their gifts. These are not random things. It's not like the Magi said, let's go to Walmart, let's grab some things, and we'll stop by, and we'll, get, we'll use the gift wrap service, and we'll take the receipts with us, too, in case he wants to exchange them. That's how we work. What the Magi said is, he is the king, and who is this king? Who is this one who has been born? He is a king. And how does one honor a king? Gold is chosen. The wealth of nations, the wealth of the world, at his service. Gold honors a king. But they bring more than gold. They bring more than gold. One of the magi also goes and he gets frankincense. 
incense very similar to what we use here at Mass. And incense is used in divine worship. Note all of a sudden, by bringing incense to this one who has been born, they are recognizing his divine character. Not just king, but God. Not just baby, but king and God. Worthy of worship. And yet that is still not enough. And so there is the third gift, the myrrh. That aromatic spice that is used to anoint a body on the occasion of a funeral. And in bringing the myrrh, they are also saying, this is the one who will suffer and give his life for us. Note how wonderful this is. Just like we have the experience of when we give or receive a well-selected, well-chosen gift, it means that the person who has given us that gift or receives it from us, that there is real knowledge of one another there. That the gift I give you matches who you are and what our relationship is. This is the kind of gift that the Magi bring. It is not simply randomly selected good things to vaguely honor him. These are gifts chosen because they are aware of who he is. A king, a God, and a sacrifice. Note how much that says. They preach no words. They proclaim nothing. But how they approach the Lord honors him and reveals that they know something of who he is. The Lord shows his face. The Lord shows his glory. Upon seeing the star, the Magi move. They come not empty-handed because they know whom it is they are going to honor. They know whom it is who is calling to them at that moment by means of a star. And imagine that. They recognize that the one who has been born is so mighty, he can speak through the stars. Only the Lord of heaven and earth can do such a thing. And so they move. And in doing so, they are a lesson and a sign for all of us, the sons and daughters of the many nations of the world. The Lord calls and he shines his brightness and his goodness into all nations. Into the darkest, most remote corner of the globe, the Lord calls. And he calls to those hearts that are willing to step outside and to look up. And on seeing the light of the star, are moved to respond. The tragedy of the visit of the three kings is that there's another response at work, and that's the response of Herod and the others in Jerusalem, who upon having the news that the expected king has been born, the king they've been waiting for, the savior that they have supposedly been praying for all this time, Upon hearing the news that he has been born, one would think their hearts would leap for joy. One would think that they too would want to go and honor this child. But they are troubled at the news, troubled 
and so they seek to destroy the child. Note the importance of the character of the heart. Herod is jealous of his throne. Herod is jealous of his palace. He has surrounded himself likewise with those whose one priority is to keep themselves safe just as they are. On the one hand, they say they want a savior. On the other hand, they say, I don't need saving. On the one hand, they say they want the promised king. On the other hand, they say, but he will never rule over me. These are hearts that can't look up. These are hearts that close in on themselves. And the announcement of the child is a threat to that heart because that heart doesn't want to move. That heart doesn't want to change. That heart insists that it is the Lord and master over its own life. And no one can tell me how to live or what to do. It's the heart that closes in in its own darkness. And then there are these hearts. We have seen his star rising, and we have come to do him homage. Because we know who he is. He is the one that has been born for us. We can do likewise. We can lift up our eyes above the things of this world and catch a glimpse of the light and the call of heaven. And we can move with the gold of charity and kindness in our hands. We can move with the incense of prayerfulness in our hands and in our hearts. We can move with the myrrh of repentance, saying, for you, I am willing to change. For you, I am willing to become better, because you are the one who has come for me, for us, and for our salvation. What a wonderful thing that is. We don't need to physically arrive with physical gifts in our hands. But note how wondrous it is. Any one of us can come with the kindness of charity and generosity. Any one of us can come with the incense of prayer in his or her heart. Any one of us can come with the hard work that's involved in just trying to become better. What a great gift that indeed is. Because here in this place, he who called to the Magi by means of a star is going to be here on this altar. And we don't need to see a star because he's here. And note how wonderful it is. Because when we come to church, it's not enough to know that he's on the altar. What do we do? Because he has come for us, like the Magi, like the shepherds, we get up and we come forward. And we give him the gift of ourselves as we do that. And then just like the Magi, we discover that he gives us a greater gift than anything we bring to him. He gives us himself. And it's wonderful that we can do this here in this place this place dedicated to the honor of our Blessed Lady. Because so beautifully, Matthew expresses it. Upon entering the house, they found the child with Mary, his mother. Wise men and wise women 
still know that they will always find the child with his mother. And so here at Our Lady's Shrine, this place dedicated to her, we can come forward and stretch out our hands to him who is always with his mother. Amen.